0: Hidden Greatness is an online podcast that discusses the hidden power of a subconscious mind and looks at how talented people use it to manifest their conscious reality. The show will feature individuals who have become champions in their respective careers, looking at darker, to light times in their lives and how they managed to find the strength to navigate their way to greatness. Today's guest is arguably one of Britain's best multi-event coaches. From studying law to coaching basketball in his hometown of Sheffield, he then successfully coached Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill to become European, World and Olympic champion. It's the man of steel, Tony Minichiello. How are you, Tony? I'm
1: alright. The one and
0: only. The one and only? No, I (laughs) think (laughs) he's a clone. And
1: maybe two of us. (laughs) How are you? I'm not bad. I'm slightly embarrassed by your introduction, but other than that... Why? Why are you embarrassed? No, the one and only. What is the greatness? You don't use those words in the same sentence as Tony Minichello.
0: Why not? I'm not there You don't give yourself enough credit. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, mm, 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 mm.
1: it's just you know you're <laughs> never a finished head. yeah. How do you answer that? You're never really a finished product. Really, as a coach, you're always growing, always learning, and always moving forward. So all of that kind of oh you are this that and it and it was yesterday. You know we've got another Olympics around the corner. Do we? The last medal, <laughs> the last medal, last medal I coached in 2016. So you're like that's four years ago. You're so yesterday. So it moves, it moves. So you know, are you still are you still world class if you don't have a world class athlete? I don't know, are you? I don't neither do I. So, maybe it's <laughs> question mark. We'll put it up. A question mark on the end of we'll that We'll put
0: one. a pin in there for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, let's get into it. Tony mm-hmm. Um Mr. Big Steel. Steel, Sheffield, you get it? City, yeah, I Steel. get that. I get
1: that. I'm a Blades fan.
0: <laughs> Where did it all start for you?
1: Would you believe in the City of Steel?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm born
1: and bred Sheffield. So, my parents came to Britain. Um they moved around. They 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 kinda a really nice, sweet story, but mm-hmm. my dad used to write letters to my mum. My mum came to Sheffield first.
0: Where are your parents from? Uh from Italy, just okay. outside
1: Naples. And um my dad used to write letters to my mum, sort of asked permission to write letters. Oh, and so this so courtship sweet. courtship via letters. Now it's really, really sweet. God rest his soul. So he wrote these sort of letters. So then he came over to meet my mum and um they got they got married. And and then they moved down to Bedford and my dad worked in the brick factory at Bedford and my mum worked down there. And then they moved back up to Sheffield Um, sort of mid sixties. I was born in Sheffield in 66. So yeah, no, it just, what can I say? Hey, guest workers, people coming after the war to find work and a better life. Uh, I'm an immigrant. I'm child of an immigrant. So am I. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Best place to be. It is. But no, no. So I, I, Born and bred in Sheffield. Went to school here. And Siblings? I've got one older sister and one younger brother. And were you sporty? Uh, I'd like to think so. Okay. it's <laughs> just, you know, I did absolutely everything. I've got a talent for nothing, but I did, <laughs> I did absolutely everything. I tried to play football. I was always substitute of football. I played cricket at school. I played rugby. Uh, I was prop and then second row. I um, played lots and lots of basketball. And 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 did athletics during the summer, so that was really, I was kind of a, a rather large, jolly jolly looking boy. So I just, <laughs> I'm not that academically gifted. So you know, sport was like a real way to express yourself. You know, running around, trying to be good, do that because it was really strange growing up in the 70s. It was a bit weird, especially with the surname Minicello, mm-hmm. which nobody could spell or pronounce particularly. So you were always a bit. You know, you're up against it and that. So, again, that's probably where I get my defense mechanism through humor and, and through sport. Because mm-hmm. one of the way because I was never that that smart. So, um, did you go to uni? Yeah, I did. I did. I did eventually. You studied law, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got a law degree. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like I said, not that smart. <laughs> so
0: What do you mean? It's not like.
1: It sounds more Genuine. grand than it is. Turn up to the lectures, listen, read a hell of a lot, you know, and then regurgitate. That's a kind of law degree. But didn't take it any further than that, to be honest, because it was, it was too expensive to go on a law practice course. Once you've done the degree, you then have to go on a law practice course, okay. get articles. And having just scraped a Desmond 2-2, <laughs> You never heard it called it, but <laughs> oh having God. just having just scraped a two okay. two, you kind of went mm, writing's on the wall. You're not going to okay. be, you ain't going to be no high high powered lawyer. Now mm-hmm. with a name like Minicello, people just say, "Oh, you like Petricelli then?" That's an old eighties. Got kind of it. Thing. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, and, so you just so I didn't I didn't pursue that and just worked within sport leisure industry in the city, Um and then after that went and worked for Department of Works and Pensions for eight years.
0: And the
1: how, how was that, DWP? You know what? How was Everybody, it? Everybody, you see, that kind of shaped me a little bit. The legal side had always made me think in a particular way. Um, but then working for the Department of Works and Pensions, working on unemployment benefit, JSA, mm-hmm. at the time, working on income support, working in the under-18 section. You see areas of society and uh, um, that are very... Quite sad, you know, people in real hardship and and things like that. But it's trying to help people, trying to solve their problems, their issues, as well as trying to adhere to the rules and stuff. So again, that shapes you. And there was a good training base, really. Civil service training in DWP was really good, and gave me a lot of my views. But fundamentally, it was a nine to five job, which meant I could coach then in the evening. So that was the thing. It was fixed hours and and, and good money compared to being a lifeguard.
0: <laughs> you were a lifeguard. Don't laugh at me. I'm not laughing.
1: I am laughing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whose life did you save? I didn't have to, because you just uh, what you do is you sit on a big chair and you oi, you get the side of that life. Yeah, but I'm aren't you trained? Do... Yeah, you're trained. I could I could do the life saving course. So point. if
0: you had to. Yeah. Did you, were you ever put in a position to save someone's life? No. no. Oh, you so really, you got really lucky? I didn't need to I didn't need to. Oh, okay. a
1: few little bits and pieces, but not not much uh okay. from that sense. But I can dive and get the I used to be able to get a body off the bottom of a pool at three meters. I was okay. certificated to that level. You had to do it swimming. Crikey. Lifeguard. <laughs> pool lifeguard. That was a week of just, you just smelt like chlorine for the next six weeks after that. Oh, wow. You did that much swimming. But that no, was good. It was good. Again, um, yeah. Again, it's stuff you do. Stuff you do. Because for me, all, all these jobs have always been a means to an end. To be able to coach. Mm-hmm. To be able to do things. Obviously, you want. But but they were always designed really as a means to an end to be able to fund me so that I could do coaching because that was much more fun.
0: Oh, wow. So where did the uh, element of coaching come from, track and field, athletics specifically? Why wasn't it like in any other sport? Was it a case of you being a fan of athletics and you thinking, okay, yeah, this is something that I want to develop into being a coach?
1: Christ, I've I've been coaching 35, 36 years. I've been coaching since I was about 18. So I mainly coached in basketball initially um, and we ran we ran a, 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 a session on a Saturday morning for young kids, me and three other guys. And we were just raising money, Charge these kids 20p. 20p? P- 20p, that's how far back it was, 20p. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was raising money for the club, but also mm-hmm. doing some coaching with young kids and it was fun. You did your coaching awards and all of those things. Um but again, then it was like where the athletics coaching came in. Because I was on a sports course at a local college here, I was doing coaching badges. So I did my athletics badges and stuff. And then really the flip side came. So those who can do, like yourself, mm-hmm. you know, become world class. Those who can't <laughs> drift into coaching because, you know, because you want to stay involved with the sport. Yeah. And you want know, to stay at a high level. And it's like you, you recognize where you've got ability, where you haven't. So, you know, I, I got involved in coaching. So one of my coaches was, um, and again, this is how I got into law. So one of my coaches was over here studying at the University of Sheffield. He was studying law. And he said, look, you're never going to make any money out of coaching. You should do a law degree, which seemed like a good idea at the time. So I did the law degree, but then went straight back into the coaching. Wow, you must have loved it that much. Yeah, I do. I mean, I was coaching while I was doing the degree at the same time. So that was always just trying to balance life and, and things like that. But you get a few people you get a few people who want your support and your help and you're like, once you're in,
0: you're in. So you, you have to see it to the end. You have to give them the support because that's what they ask for. So where did the focus come from specifically with combined events?
1: Well, I, I did decathlon very badly. So How badly is badly? No, badly, badly. <laughs> Jess scored more in seven events than I did in 10. Oh. Don't even go. <laughs> okay. So, but she ain't vaulted three meters 10, I have. <laughs> Let me tell you that. But no, I, it was just... I suppose it was the philosophy, really, with with anybody who came to me to be coached at that time. I got a small group. The idea being, and it's still my philosophy, is to give people the widest base as possible. So even though um, Jess came to me as a sprinter, uh, my ex-wife who went into bobsleigh came to me wanting to be a shot putter. And I was like, oh, do lots of different things because you don't know where your talent lies. Mm-hmm. So try everything. Be as athletic as you can because it helps you going forward. It's like like most parents will take their kids and do dance or gymnastics to give them this um, body vocabulary, if you like. That, to me, is still a fundamental philosophy for me, is that do lots of different things. Let's see what you're good at. Try things, learn, coordinate. And at some point, then you pick something and move down that route and you focus. Um, Fortunately enough, most of the people have done multi-events and have kept doing it. Um, it's seldom that they've drifted into a single event. One or two have I had a, a young heptathlete. Now who's um, Christ, how is Carla now? Carla's 30 now. So, but she came as a multi eventer and then drifted more into sprint hurdles to be successful there and did well, you know, made national finals, represented England and things like that. So you can, you've got to find yourself a bit, but it, you don't know what you don't know. So it, it's all about trying lots of different things. Let's find out how good you are.
0: I remember... I think the first time I, first time I met you was, um. <laughs> was I polite? <laughs> <laughs> it was at the Northern Championships indoors. Je- right, this is when yeah. Jess was still a sprinter. I don't all think right. she was combined events now. No, she was
1: always, she was, she always was combined bits. events. She hated it, but she was combined events when she liked it. Me,
0: that's all. <laughs> <laughs> she hated
1: it because she didn't like throwing. and then she got, she got good at English schools under 15 at high jump. Mm-hmm. And then people were saying, oh, she'd be a high jumper. I'm like, you do realize she's like five foot nothing. (laughs) She's tiny. This ain't going to be a high jumper long term. But, oh no, she'd be a really good high jumper. I was like, no. But it was just try different things. But yeah, it's all about that. But she hated it. She hated it to start with. (laughs) She absolutely hated it. (laughs) She didn't enjoy it at all? No, no, no. But she'd be lead So they do a pentathlon at under 15. And she'd be leading for four events. And then it come down to the eight hundred. And, um, you know, she'd run, like, Tuesday. That's how slow it was. They had to bring out a calendar and egg timer. It took just took forever. And she'd end up going from first place to, like, third or something like that. And, oh, I hate this event. You know, so we so she'd run, she ran 243 sort of thing, which, God, round, uh, you know, for somebody who can run as quick as you can, it was mm-hmm. quite poor. But she just didn't like it. And so we trained for a year. And the following year, she ran 245. <laughs> and it was just, i did try to express the number should get smaller not bigger in in this event but you know and then eventually she kind of got her head around it and went you know what i need to knuckle down in this event i want to lead and do things and stuff so again you know i i, I think you've got to try things you've got, mm-hmm. to know, you've got to do all kinds of things so that's one of my underpinning philosophies to it awesome
0: and speaking of Queen Jessica Ennis, well, I call her Queen. I call her Diva, really, because she is one. Um, Dame, d- diva Dame. <laughs> diva, diva Dame. Tane. Diva Dame Ennis. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did that relationship start from? You started coaching her from when she was 11, 12 years old, she uh, was she about
1: 13. Okay. She came down the track when she was nine, and you could tell that she was against so other primary school kids. She was like, whoosh. And you were like, oh, that kid's quick. But she's nine, so you know, you encourage those kids to come down and do like the after school clubs and stuff at the track that was at the old Don Valley. And so she <gasps> I was doing,
0: Valley. Know, you know, what was that shame. was one of my favorite stadiums in this whole country. Yeah, you know, I love Don Valley. How fast was that track? <sighs> oh, track it was, was amazing. Track was cracking. Oh well, <sighs> sorry, I didn't want to bring up all my. We'll now have a minute's silence. <laughs> <for Dom Valley. laughs>
1: thank you anyway, <laughs> so no it, it, yeah so she came down there she did and so the idea was to encourage her to keep coming down so um one of my athletes Nicola yes. you know she was she was running the sort of she was employed and did the the after school clubs and did that and again so there was always a kind of there was an influence but Nicola was doing a lot of the coaching and do this so when Nicola then went to bobsleigh it was like will you take on this kid and I was like you're joking what That really sassy kid <laughs> damn and she was 13 which was a okay. bit young compared to the other people in my group but it was like okay okay let's let's work and then just built from there really so uh, that's that's how it was and then just encouraged her to do lots and lots of different things um, and, and again she stuck
0: with it in the end. How was that as a coach, Um, taking us through the years from, you know, especially in the UK, British athletes, you know, mm-hmm. we go through that transition period from being a really, really good junior or an okay junior to then transitioning to the senior level. So how did you maintain that with Jess? Because, you know, when you're going through that period, 15, 16 to then 18, 19-ish, yeah. there's a lot that's happening, especially in the outside world. There's expectations. It's, so how did you build that?
1: The problem... So the sports society and the funding processes and what there is now is broken. It's absolutely broken. Um, But back then, you had a bit more of an incremental approach to it. So when Lottery first came in, if you were aged a particular age, and if you did a particular performance, you got support. And your only mechanism was that next year, you need to do this performance to maintain where you are, and this performance. So it was nice, steady steps. So, and again, all of this was my view of that and it still is the same is this is about step by step this is about the long game it has to be about the long game when i say that funding's broken now it's all about medals everyone's about the medals 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 medals, winning medals i have to win now you do realize you're 12 (laughs) yeah but it's kind of
0: medals medals it's all
1: about the medals Mm -hmm. and that breeds in people a real dysfunction i think in that that's all. If you ain't winning, you ain't you ain't worthy, and that's terrible. Whereas I'm on a pathway. I'm gonna progress. This is what I need, and you you take those steps forward. So with Jess, you could tell she was gifted. If you like, I hate the word talented, but she had abilities.
0: Why do you hate the word talented?
1: Because ta- you know, <sighs> here's the thing with with the word talent, and we keep using it, and it, it it's. What happens when you lose? You're not talented anymore. If everybody through your life tells you you're talented, you're talented. You're talented, you're talented. Like it's this God-given gift. Ding, you know, big there you go. I'm talented. Wow. What happens when you lose? Did they take the gift? It's gone from you now. You know, it defines who you are. Oh, I'm talented, but I lost today, which means I'm not talented. So am I still me? It just, to me, it just, it's horrible. It's like you have ability? You have abilities. The thing to do is enhance those abilities and grow as an individual and enhance and keep moving forwards and just understand what will help me grow that ability a little bit more. And people don't. It's like talented is win-loss for me. So I hate the word talented. I will use it from time to time, but it's uh-huh. kind of because I've just limited vocabulary. I can't think of a <laughs> second word to replace it. But I think it's it's that. If you imagine, if you imagine somebody's abilities are like a, a, an empty jar, and what you do you have this some people have got a really big jar, which means they've got lots of abilities, lots of places to take some people have got a small jar. And what you're doing is you're just trying to fill the jar up with experiences and you make the most of it. And what your job as a coach to do is is to fill the jar and there you have this this full, full individual who's who's achieving at the highest level. It's not, you know. That, that's the thing. If you define them as talented and win loss, you're killing them. Everyone's about the win. So I'm watching a a podcast from somebody the other day on youtube or whatever it was instagram and this person's like 19 20 years old and they're training 38 to 40 hours a week that's what they're, and they're proud about 38 40 hours a week i'm like where are you gonna go when you're 23 24 what are you gonna do 50 hours 60 you know what are you gonna do train 24 hours a day or 25 where do you go where's the growth you gotta like you got to build this, but this is somebody who's straight out of juniors and smashing it. And you're like, and and I look at that now and I'm like, this person's a bit injured now and stuff. I just see people push, push, push. And that's a disaster. That's a short, it's like, you know, we've only got a certain size candle and mm-hmm. you light the candle and it slowly pearls, And that's the end of your career. This is somebody taking a blowtorch, to their candle and trying to get <laughs> everything out of it. And that's uh, quite sad. So, coming back to your question about Jess it was always about the long game making steady progression making improvement 5 to 10% every year every year every year do i know how good she can be do i know she's going to be an olympic champion no um, because nobody's nobody knows they're going to be an olympic champion because it depends who else is in the race you're mm-hmm. you're a you're, a, you're a, a victim of your of your period of time you know you're a great athlete as long as the people around you aren't greater or you're an average athlete because you're in a in a period of time where everybody's running incredibly quick. And you're like, wow, any other time. So I was like, the, if you look at Tony Jarrett and Colin Jackson, you know, Colin, oh, Colin. If Colin wasn't around, we'd have been talking about Tony, Tony, Jarrett, yeah. Tony Jarrett. He ran 13 dead. Cric, I know. So I you kind of, yeah. No, no, Tony, but it's because he's there. He's yeah. like, oh, Tony was this kind of second place person. And you're like, no, Tony's an incredible mm-hmm. athlete. In his own right. But because Colin's there, you judge it. So that's what I mean. You're a kind of a victim of your of your time, really, from from that perspective. So, again, it's just how good do I need to be? How good do I need What does it take to make the Olympics? Let me get to that point so I can get in the game. I can actually go. Because most people's ambition is to go to an Olympics. So, again, that's what you're moving towards. Try and get to that level and get there safely without damaging the heck out of yourself. And that's a long game. People don't play the long game anymore. That's why it's broken. Everybody wants you now, today, be there. and it's
0: uh, crazy. Speaking of which, I want to take you back to a particular year where it was 2008. Mm. So prior to 2008, um, success for Jess in particular. So she medaled at Commonwealth Games in mm-hmm. Melbourne. Shout out to me in here because we both medaled. twenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 20- 2007, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, world champ, she finished fourth and just missed out on a medal mm-hmm. but had a fantastic performance. And then 2008, she was going into the Olympics yeah, as yeah, yeah. a potential medalist after PB and Gottsitz, which I still need to go to now I'm retired because I do love combined events and Gottsitz is an ace two-day eventer. <laughs> um, they do love their combined events. Yeah, they do. And, um, But prior to the Olympics, she got hurt and she got injured. Mm. So we all know what that's like for her, you know, from her and her side. But what was that like for you as a coach? Because she wasn't just going there as a potential first Olympics, but also as a potential medalist.
1: So when you say that 2006, she got a bronze medal. To be honest, at that Commonwealth Games, she should have finished sixth. She was going in ranked sixth. But you looked at the six and go, actually, if you hold it together, this, that, and I know that personal fold like a deck chair, so you never know you're going to be around, this kind of thing. And so, you know, that was a massive leap forward. And then at the World Championship, she'd made the progress and she finished fourth. Um, she still owed a bronze medal I think from that because one of the person who finished in the top three there ended up getting banned the following <laughs> the year but we God. won't go there but
0: still I mean we can <laughs> we'll get to it in a bit
1: <laughs> so suddenly you get this expectation so she finishes fourth and then Carolina Cluft who won retires mm-hmm. so you're thinking oh four minus one is three it's Olympic year coming up next year happy days if we just repeat we're <laughs> on the, we said, yeah. it's a lifetime we're going to climb the mountain and stick the flag right in the very top, we're not only going to go to the Olympics, we're going to medal, this is a lifetime dream at which point you realise what a Dumbo the, the coaches and for me the injury was just, oh you <laughs> words that cannot be published you, you look at it and go, made number of mistakes, so it was like a perfect storm, so she finished her degree in 2007, so at she was now full-time, full-time. athlete. Mm-hmm. I was working for UK Athletics, so I was a full-time coach. Well, she's full-time, I'm full-time. And I went to this huge training plan, and this is it. We're really going to charge and do that. I just overloaded it. I just overloaded it. We got the indoor facilities, which is a very hard cambered track. As soon as there's a cloud in the sky outside, you're like, right, we'll go indoors. We can do everything indoors. We can get on. And you just push and push and push and push, which again was – was kind of foolish but you thought well you've got to this now you're fourth in the world you're at the age of 22 23 no, It's the time to step on and do it but again just overloaded it and um didn't listen a little bit didn't didn't really manage it got I got pressure from Jess about where we were going to go and what we were going to do and I went yeah well what you, you kind of make those conflicted decisions really based on the information because you as a coach you're trying to please the athlete as well you, you are kind of in charge, but it's a partnership. So again, as a partnership, you sit down as a business and you make a decision. We're going to go there against my better judgment, even at the time, but it thought, Hey, but it seems to be getting better. And then she broke her foot in three places. So, and that, that was it gone. And you just think, wow. So your dream was to go to the Olympics. That's gone. Your dream was to medal at the Olympics. Damn, that might not happen now. Okay. You need to work and move forwards. Um, and you need to make smarter decisions. Um, at which point, really, then I kind of, I, I feel I imposed myself stronger at that point. Instead of being this, oh, ask the athlete how they feel, isn't that. No, I'm boss. I'm boss. And I'm going <laughs> to take that full-on role. I'm boss. And it says it on my T-shirt. It's tattooed on my arm. Boss. <laughs> Even, it's you, you have to. It, it's kind of like, rolled on a minute. I've made mistakes there because I second-guessed it. We're going this way. So you you had to rebuild, but it was, I really thought I'd I'd broke the athlete. I'd got an athlete on the verge of doing what they wanted to do. And you you made a mess of it. You broke them because it is, it's a coach's fault. Coach causes 99% of the injuries because I decide what you do, where you can be, volume of training, how it's structured, the rest of it. There's a freaky 1% where maybe you, you know, you step off a curb somewhere and twist your ankle, something that's, you, you, that happens to you but fundamentally you know a coach sets the program so the work is done by the coach i've had some coaches say oh no that's not the case not okay. i'm like it's my training program if i can't judge that you're tired and i've pushed you too far or i'm pushing you towards an injury then i ain't a good i'm not a good coach
0: and then going into 2009 Mm. what changes did you make from past decisions that you needed to possibly think about moving forward? I just watched a load of Rocky films.
1: You, know, you <laughs> needed that training months, <laughs> didn't it? Off the steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, find out. No, you just, you looked at it and you said, why has it happened? So what a lot of people don't do is, why has the injury occurred? What were the key factors? What do you need to change? So for her, fundamentally, you started to look at it and go, okay, the, what did we do? We over, there was too much volume in particular areas. How do you cut that down? You're jumping on the same foot, high jump, long jump. Okay, we need to change that. We need to be aware of this. And you reshape the training program and build it back up. But there were really dark days. There were really, you know, covered. one time, one time definitely, she rang me up on the phone. And she said, I'm not going to be training. I'm not going to come training. And you were like, Hello? A low, oh, she didn't want to train today. So there was real emotional lows.
0: And And how was that for you, to hear your athlete? You don't
1: want to hear your athlete cry.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm
1: not here to make athletes cry. I'm not here to upset people and stuff like that, regardless of popular rumor about me. But, you know, you're trying to help people along a journey, not damage them to that point. So... One of the nice things is we watched the Olympics together. I went round to her house because obviously it was Beijing and on the time difference. We watched it together and we sat there and she's yeah. yeah. But once the Olympics had finished, really strange. Once the Olympic finished, it was like quite cathartic because it was over. So I'm not missing out now anymore because it's gone. Now I step and move forward. So changing the training, changing the training volumes, changing what we did, how we did it, was the thing. And just being a bit mindful of of where the danger signs are and what, what the views are. 2009 was clearly the year where you both stepped up. I always knew that 2009 was her year because of her age and the levels of experience and where she would be. I always said to her, bizarrely, 2009 to 2012, you, that's when you come. You mm-hmm. shouldn't, where you are now, you're over-exceeding, but really you should come into your own 2009 onwards. Um like to say I was a
0: genius on that but I mean it just came right you can say you're a genius it's okay to give yourself credit (laughs) it's actually okay I'm one lucky
1: no no, you kind of you kind of picture it and it it fell really well it fell well in in that sense so you kind of you know it, it came to plan so we we did this she had a long run into what she was doing um even when she was injured, we had a real opportunity to work on things like throws, which she was poor at, work on upper body, work on all the kind of core stability issues, stuff that you kind of always, you know, from your training, you're kind of fitting it in. It's not really a session because it's so small, but you're fitting it in, whereas really, actually, I should take two months off and work on all these aspects, tidy all that up, and then go back to the to the training. So we had that advantage, So we worked on that. So we could put a real foundation of that work in, which then you could take advantage of going forward. So yeah, Berlin was kind of freaky. But even after the first day, it was interesting because the Olympic champion, um, Dobrinska from the Ukraine, after she'd run the 200, she just turned to her and she did say, she says, yeah, you've won this. I'm like, has she not seen you long jump and throw a javelin? Does she not know that this is still, you you have uh, enough opportunities to mess up and, but no, she, so the Olympic champion tells you you got this one oh, wow. for the second day. You're like, okay. <laughs> I mean, she's folded. Right Did she believe there.
0: it though? Did you believe it?
1: I I don't believe it until you know until the medal's in your hand and you've won it and national anthem's finished. Then you realise you're champion because up to that point they can always take it away from you. You never know what
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, what can happen. So now it's really, really kind of surreal. It kind of worked so well those two decks. But even that, there's still a fair amount of doubt on her part because she'd changed feet in the long jump. So we'd changed fundamentally what we were doing. And she came up to me and she, she was like, before the comp. she was like, I don't want to jump shit in the long jump. I went, no, no you'll be all right. No, 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 it's as long as I don't jump shit. And I'm going, okay, okay, okay. You're going to have to define what that is. <laughs> be specific. Yeah. What is, you can't just check it out and, oh, because everything then will be, will, will be not very good so it was kind of like oh okay so we had a decision that six meters 20 was that would be anything lower than that would be poo and everything above that would be okay and acceptable and we defined that and she jumped over that and she still came up to the fence she went oh that was still and i was like yeah but it was no 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 No, it wasn't it's officially not it could be better but it's not shit so (laughs) this is kind of thing and that was that to me is a message about people go oh i don't want to but define it, define where the line is, where above that I can praise myself, but below that I can castigate myself in some way or tell myself off. Then, you know, where is it? Whereas people go so often are always like, oh, it's a, and you're like, is that a bravado thing? Is that a bravado thing or is it actually, that's good, well done, that's par. So I always had this thing with the heptathlon event is there's par in each of the, that's where you need to be. Ninety-five percent day in day out. Ninety-eight percent. Anything above that's bonus. Ooh, I did. I hit bonus. Great. And you kind of do that it, so that you don't put the weight on the individual all the time. That because oh, oh. then it's it's a downward spiral and you won't stop it. in Terms of performance.
0: It's interesting that because the Tony Minicello, that <laughs> the Tony Minicello, the Tony Minicello um, from two thousand eight, missing out on. The Olympic Games is now a different Tony Minicello, the coach, post Olympic, post World Championships, and listen to you talking. Yeah, like look up, look at the changes that you've made. You you now have a world champion on your hands. Yeah, it's kind of uh,
1: yeah. No, it's good for you know. It's it's a great career, but if you if you're maybe this is the last question, but you know there are four world titles in there and two Olympic medals, a European title that kind of thing a commonwealth bronze you you look at that as a career and you go wow but the the years that mean the most to me in terms of coaching are 2009 and 2015 those are the two years not the 2012 not any not so much the the world championships from 2009 is the biggie coming back from injury getting it right putting it back together creating change putting more of a team around her and having that group of people around you know because we always had this thing by the way, I'm going to go on record now. People get it wrong, right? It was Team Genis, right? It's not Team Minicello. It's never the coach's name. It's the team. It's Team Genis. Okay, well, Ennis. People always us. talk about. People always talk about. Oh, it's and they mention the coach's name. I'm like, no, I'm part of the team. I'm not the team. It's not my team. It's the team of the athlete. People get it wrong. Like the coach needs to puff up their chest or something. It's not. It's about team. Yeah, Jessica granite or it will be team John Lane and it will be team that it's always about them, these little things it's not about team Minicello. I, I see it so much and it it irritates me because I think I was first and I think I've spoiled it because <laughs> <laughs> I- we always talked about that and I was always like no it's about athletes at the middle of it, don't get me wrong it's a coach athlete relationship and it's it's basically it's athlete centred, coach driven Okay, but I'm a bit player to that and it's Sports science support—that's really the thing, and that's what you put around somebody. That's the—that's the crux of it. But it's delivering service to the athlete and judging that athlete, what their pluses and minuses are, where their gaps are, and how you add. You're still filling that jar. You're still filling that jar, but it's their jar,
0: not yours. So it's never about the, never about the coach. Talk to us about the team. So, who was the team around you? You had you do speak highly about the support that you did have in building and creating. You know, yeah, it's, Jess.
1: it's it's a good group of people. I don't think anybody's ever trying to do a bad job around that, and you find people who buy in. And not it's not about them; it's about what they're delivering from that. And that's tough to find because you do get you do get, especially on the medical side. You know, these gurus, these gifted hands. <laughs> I can fix you, aha. Uh-huh. And it's just you know, soothsayers you know, all these snake oil salesmen and all kind of things that are offering you this magic bullet of that. But it's how you blend. Your job as a coach is to blend those things. So i got nutrition over here. i got physiology over here. i got medical. Oh, okay. We What are we doing? So if you, in Jess's case, you've got a broken foot, fine. Okay. I'm talking to the nutritionist about, um, we're going to train different. Fine. Okay. So what do we do to help that? Because you're going to get sore okay calcium fine is that being looked after vitamin d is that being looked after great and then you got massage right if she's going to be sore how often are we seeing you this is your job and you're giving out jobs you've all got a really unique set of skills so it's finding people who can work and work together and understand that they're a contributor to a big machine around that individual and i was fortunate that having i wheedled out a few that we got a really good team so medically uh, Rob Ch- um, Dr. Richard Higgins uh, as, as the doc, very good clinician, great clinician. Um, he was really good. And then we had two physios, Rob Johnson, who's very, very, very specific about it and a, and a great study, a great study and looks at it from a very mechanical, measured point of view. And you've got Alison Rose's physio, who, again, is just as good, but he's a much more hands-on physio, feel and touch and what they bring. That blend of those three, and then you bring in Derry, and everybody knows Derry, Magic Hands Derry. You know, and what Derry does, you look at that as a quartet, and you're like, I've got every base covered. I've got thinkers, great clinician, got hands-on people, this who are looking at it, looking at it different ways. And all I ever set them as a task is find me a problem before it's a problem. Find me something that might lead to an injury and fix it. I want a full MOT twice or three times a year. Find me something. Look at this. Let's know this individual and that quartet working together. Then you tack on nutrition, Mark Ellison, who's AJ's nutritionist boxer, Anthony Joshua's nutritionist now, as well as Man United. So his credentials are huge, (laughs) absolutely huge. Steve Ingham, physiologist came in from time to time. Um, Always brought in that new scientific little thing. And you were like, okay, what's new? He would bring that in. So, and then Pete Lindsay, psychologist, who's now at Manchester city um again brought in that measured approach and that so you start to put those units together and then you bring an agent in jane cow uh from that we'd had tommy yule initially as strength and conditioning did a lot of teaching work but then tommy went off to be performance director and do all these other things so lost that aspect so i took that on more and more but you bring that in and you go this is it this is what we're doing this is what we're trying to do this individual wins we all get mm-hmm. that that sort of reciprocal, uh, reflective glory, that. But it's not about us, it's about them. And If they do super well, your CV just looks better and better. And that's it. And you're doing that, you're always doing it. And of course, then you got Brycey, the measurement fella on top.
0: Shout, Paul, out. shout out, shout Dr. out, Dr. Paul. Shout for legendary.
1: <laughs> or Paul Van Bryce, now he's working in Holland. I mean, he's changed But then you've got Brycey in terms of biomechanics, measurement. Okay, what's new? What should happen? What should it look like? What are we... How close are we to that perfect model? So again, you bring all that and they kind of get it. And it's how you blend that team. It's how you blend that team. I think one of the problems with sports science is you get all these guys that are like around people now and one's trying to outdo the other and they don't really blend, to be honest. And then you get a problem at that point because somebody will pull in a direction and it's contrary to this direction. Or two people will be working at direct opposites without knowing Instead of bringing it together. So it's it's how you blend that. It's slightly organic. Now we get deep here. Now. It's go like, deep, it's go fine. Go deep, it's, it's, it's organic. So if you imagine it, they're like cogs in a machine. And at some point, if we're dealing with nutrition, then nutrition is a big cog because that's what we're dealing with. But the rest of the time when we're dealing about medicine, it's a small cog, but you need that cog to turn the whole machine. So it's understanding when, right, I come to the fore, I do my thing, now step back. and just blending it keeping it together so we'd always have we started initially having like two three meetings a year where i'd get everybody together in a room and we'd chat right this is what we're doing this is a review and so on and so forth then unfortunately that got stamped on um and it couldn't happen really through the governing body because they got a bit precious under the personnel there at the time and they were like no no it's our team we're in charge and you're like well you're not really but so they was just one of the And they kind of broke it up a little bit. So it, was, it didn't work. It didn't function as
0: well as I'd have liked in the later years, unfortunately. You know what's great though? Listening to you just talk about how you put the team together, but also you speak highly about how they all were buying into it. Mm. Not necessarily, you know, seeing how successful Jess was at the time or how successful she was going to become. But just buying into the whole you know being part of this team genus. and because you did have your own setup like you did say what were the challenges that you did face with the governing body because you know you're not using their support system so to speak you're you've now got your because, own setup because it, because it wasn't
1: world class. what was on offer wasn't world class. it wasn't cutting edge. it wasn't where it needed to be. I think everybody within my team at some point, you know, either worked for the governing body and left, or was they attempted to recruit them and didn't. But, you know, so it's kind of like you need to seek out the best. Not only are they best at what they do, but can they blend into this group? Critical factor with any, any sports scientist you ever use is, does the athlete like them? Does the athlete respond to them? And if they don't, you can't really work with them. You know, you might be able to break down that bridge, but, you know, if we don't get on and they're in that relationship there, then it isn't going to work. So, therefore, they, will, they won't be trusting of what's being given. So, that's the critical piece that you have to put together. So, again, it's finding people who are, have got the right level of humility and understand that they're helping along the way and so on. And give them the buy-in and, you know, understand that this is, you know, this is family Um like Don Corleone type family, that's what it's about. <laughs> but you know, you you just these are your roles; they're clearly defined, and and that the difficulty was the governing body said, "Oh, this you don't need this, you don't need that." So I had lots of arguments with the head coach: "You don't need that, you don't need this, you don't need that."
0: No, no, Because no. obviously do, there was there was talk a lot about you know having to source support from either Loughborough or Lee Valley. Yeah, you know, at the time, you know, at, did you was, find you were bat- think, but button heads? That's because. I think what you've got to recognize
1: is that different people have different agendas and it's like, what's their agenda? What's their goal? What's their outcome? And you kind of sometimes, and it was about making the mechanism look right, look good, give it credibility. I'm not here to give you credibility for your system. We're here to win a medal. So what you're trying to do is not what you really should be doing. And it's just, it's understanding that that point that if Jess wins a medal, everybody's going to look good. You don't have to look like you're in charge. And I think that was the difficulty. Certainly when Charles came in, it had to be Charles in charge. He had to be in charge. That's his personal makeup. He has to be the boss. I have to be the boss. So I have to impose myself on everybody else. And that's tough. That's just him. That's his personality trait, unfortunately. But, you know, without realizing you can be in charge by letting other people be in charge. And that's how you do it. That's that kind of gift. I don't have to be boss. I just have to be the plate spinner and go, yeah, are you all right in your environment? You are fine. And as long as that's working. At some point, there's a decision to be made, and I get that. Then make the decision when it's appropriate. But you're not going to make every decision. So you you are a great leader by giving away the leadership. That's the critical factor for me. And especially when these guys these guys are geniuses in their own field. So what do I know? How do I challenge on nutrition? I know a bit. You know, eat regularly. That's the level of my nutrition. You know, it's important. So, no, but yeah. yeah. But you know bits, but you go. And and the other thing I often find with a lot of sports scientists is they want to explain it really complicated. And I'm looking at them I'm like, no, explain it to me like I'm an eight-year-old because I don't understand what you're saying. Whereas when I first started coaching, I would just nod going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so right. Yeah, I understand that. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And inside I'm going, I have not got a clue what you're talking about, but I do not want to lose face. Loose face just go, Sorry, I don't understand that. You have to explain that. Nope, still don't understand it. You got any crayons? Show me. <laughs> That's what is. That's what you have to do. And just and then you understand. And you're like, oh, I get it now. I am now. I'm I'm enriched. So you know, it's you give away the leadership in order to gain the leadership. Is is the whole thing with it? And it, and it works better. It works better. I don't need to micromanage people. Right? What are you doing? I was doing. Right. Right. Is it still fitting with the bigger picture?
0: End of. Let's talk about 2012, because at this point, you know, Jess had basically won every medal up until that point. Europeans, world championships, mm-hmm. um, just missing out on the gold in 2011. Mm-hmm. 2012, I remember watching the indoor, Europe, uh, world indoors. You're looking at me like, what happened? Yeah, well, no, i <laughs> was still right thinking. That was Istanbul. It, it was, and she won the 800s. And even though she won, she ran a British record. Yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah. the points, because they were calculating the points, she thought that she might have won gold, but then. <laughs> How embarrassing was that? No, it's but- not embarrassing because <laughs> you don't know as an athlete, but that's, that's something that I just go You don't know yeah, of. Do you know no, I no. Mean? She was,
1: she was, she was running it and she crossed the line first. Because yeah. she crossed the line first, they put up her final Fra- result yes. first and put number one next to yeah. it. And she thought, oh, I've done it. Because she couldn't <laughs> see the people behind. She was yeah. trying to run the time out of. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's just me. No. Stop <laughs> celebrating. It's embarrassing. But and it was like that. So they put it up. It's just yeah. the way they put it up on the scoreboard.
0: Going into twenty twelve though at that point, because she did win silver at the World Indoor, she did still um, get a British records. Yeah, 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 and she just missed out on the gold. Where was your head at as a coach between Istanbul? So just finishing the world indoors to now. It was, six you months know, later. Istanbul.
1: It was just one of those things because she won two years it, earlier in Doha. Yeah, and then she was chasing the five thousand points, be the first one mm-hmm. with five thousand points, and she'd messed up in the long jump. Really, just the long jump runway was just whoa What are you doing? And that didn't work for her. So she hadn't jumped enough. So you'd really have to chug it around the 800 and it wasn't enough so you kind of go okay that's a work in progress we need to deal with that so you focus down on where the gap was and um and just move forward so no your head was just crack on we know what that is we know what that is to work on um and so we went away and just worked on that event the pressure really at that particular point
0: was kind of was it had been dealt with in 2011 because that's when the pressure was really big so the pressure was Sylvia? bigger in 2011 than it was in 2012?
1: You win, you, you go 2009 and, and Lord Coe calls her the face of the game. So the pressure wins. Then you win again in 20, uh, 2010. You win twice. World Indoors and that. And it's that. And in lot, there isn't a lot on the British team that looks like an out-and-out winner. So going into the game. So 2011 was, she'd got injured in the winter to so miss the European Indoors. So that was a bit of pressure. And so we didn't prepare as well as we needed to going into 2011. And then she underperformed then. But you could see that the pressure was getting to her about, ah, this is it, I'm only a year away from the Olympics, there's a big thing coming, and that. So we had a little bit of a, a reset after 2011 and just said, look, I don't need you to be like a new model, Jessica, Jessica Rennes, Mark II kind of thing. I just need you to be you and just trust the training and relax. So it's just nice and steady, build away, trust the training. Trust the training. I was going to take anything. Throughout. So it was kind of building, building. So getting into 2012 was much more relaxed. It was like, just trust the training. We're doing all right here. Trust the training. Yeah, that's a technical glitch. So we can fix that. It's not an injury from that point of view. So going into 2012 was much, much easier uh, from that. And 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 again, with the team around, you recognize some of those things. I mean, one of the funniest things was, uh, you know, the Olympic Stadium, they, they had a test event, British University Champs. Yes,
0: I do So I was
1: down there the day before the British University Champs doing like a kid's session. I'd been asked to go down and do this kid's session. And Jess made it really clear that she didn't want to go to the stadium before. She wanted to witness it on the day. So it was fresh. Thank you very much. A lot of athletes do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it <laughs> yeah. too. But for me as a coach, I need to know where the toilets are. I need to know where this is, where that is and so on. So I kind of, I went down there. But I did get to walk around the day and I noticed that the javelin run up was much further back from the grass than you'd ever normally see about seven seven or nine meters and that was the end of that so I'd had my little walk around I knew where everything was and I came back and I got a phone call from Charles and he was like oh have you been to the stadium why are you not at the stadium and I was like I was there yesterday I've had a little walk around I'm like, oh have you I'm like yeah okay <laughs> so I'm like okay um, and, that, and he said oh have you seen what have you seen and that, and I went yeah I've seen the javelin run ups he said yeah what about the javelin runs you see it and I went, yeah, yeah, it's about seven meters from the grass. He says it's more like nine meters. I was like, oh, it's nine meters then. Okay. <laughs> so you just, I'm listening to this and I'm like, listen to this guy panic on the phone going, oh, you need to be aware of this. You need to be aware of that. Oh, all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Got that. Thanks. Yep. That. You put the phone down. That's when you start to see somebody else's agenda. You start to see them. My, it's critically important. My superstars know everything that I need. to. It's covered. it's covered. It's covered. Trust. It's covered. So we'd we'd start to train then so that she would have whenever she trained for javelin with Mick Mick Hill, that we'd have a javelin line that was about seven to nine metres away from the from the edge of the grass. So again, you know, you'd you'd see that. Um so you'd have that visual of, of all that space. So we just we just prepped. It was probably the easiest two days I've ever coached was London twenty twelve.
0: 2012 Olympics, Team Janice win Olympic gold. Um, I'm sure you were on a high, you and the team, you know, set out this goal. What does life look like post 2012 for you?
1: Redundant. (laughs) No, seriously, (laughs) just redundant. You just, uh, I got made redundant from British Athletics uh, at that point. Thanks, bye. Did they Uh, say
0: Why? I just,
1: I was only coaching one athlete and that wasn't enough value to them. And then obviously there was a change of hierarchy and the rest of it. And just, Hey, I'm an irksome, troublesome person. So if you can get rid, get rid. Um, I did, It's just one of those. So it was a bit, bit kind of bittersweet because you've achieved what you set out to do. And, and in fairness to Jess, it was, there's only one medal you could win. You had to win gold. Silver would be a loss. So no, it was tough, but it, you've done it. So you kind of like you know what? It's done. Thank you. Lifetime's ambition achieved for coach and for athlete. So yeah, it was kind of good. But then you like okay, what am I going to do in terms of earning a living?
0: As well as the redundancy, you then had to deal with Don Valley closing down as well. Yeah, yeah. Which was a lot. So what does life look like for you as a coach? Outside of track and field? Like, what's it like? Because now you've been made redundant. So now your life is like, okay, now I've actually got like bills to pay. I've got people to support. Like, what's yeah, life like yeah, for Tony outside of you track kinda, and field? You kind of get,
1: you know what? It's the greatest, it's the greatest way to gain perspective of what sport's always about. That you're you're up one day, you're down the next. And just, oh, I don't, don't hate I hate the player, hate the game. It's 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 kind of like, yeah, all right, that's the way it works. I don't particularly disagree with with what happened. You just like, okay, situations change. Pick yourself up, work your way through it. Because even at that point, you there was a question mark as well, is Jess going to continue? Is no, she not? You've achieved everything you needed to achieve. She was uh, she was more focused on getting married. That was what her position was. So you a little bit, mm, are we? Aren't we? This kind of thing. And then she ended up with Achilles injuries. So I missed the 2013 world champs in Moscow. So you kind of go, okay. But you sat on the outside of it as a coach because you're waiting to find out what happens. And you, you either wait or go in a different direction. Um, and I just chose to wait,
0: really. Um,
1: and just work out a way of being.
0: And how did you work that out? How did you go about You know what, you,
1: you find a way because you go back to what you know and it's exactly as you've always done with the sport. You coach the people around you, you work from that, you do. And just go, you know, I have to make this thing work in some way, shape or form. So you coach where you can, you earn where you can and, and do that. You live off your savings. Uh, you do what everybody does, really. It's just It's You make, make sure you've got something to, to move to.
0: Fast forward from 2012, 2013, you know, just being out uh, 2013 with Achilles and then mm. um, pregnancy in 2014. Yeah. You said before, previously 2015 was one of your most challenging years.
1: Yeah, because you, you missed you miss 2013 due to injury and then you you missed 2014 due to pregnancy. And the question mark is, are you coming back? Because I remember... Um, the question is, oh, yeah, I'm going to come back after giving birth. I'll come back. I'll come back. And it was it was better at that point because I then signed, having had a year of unemployment, I was then, because Jess was coming back, it negotiated a bit of a deal with British Athletics. So I was paid as a consultant. So even though 2013 was rough, 2014 was, we put something in place and that was a little bit better than Jess announced the pregnancy. So And you're thinking, oh, okay, is she actually going to come back? She said she was, but... Nobody really knows until the little fella comes along, Reggie, that is she actually or is she not? Because I don't know if you remember, Lee McConnell mm-hmm. was pregnant and she was going to come back. And then once her, her son was born, yeah. um, she went, nope, that's me done. And I was thinking, ooh, I wonder if Jess is going to go the same way. What you say and what actually happens, do different things. So And how did yeah. that
0: conversation come about?
1: Oh, no, it was always the plan that she was going to come back, but I didn't believe her until Reggie appeared. And even when Reggie was born, there was still three months of, you know, of before she actually really came back to training. And then when she came back to training, it was really difficult because of the relaxing, the hormones that you have swimming around your body in order to give birth. It's a very different individual comes back and you're trying to build. So there's a lot of questions at that point where, is she actually going to make it back? I'm not sure, but I've got to give her assurances, reassurance. It's really tough to get around those kind of things. She has had some sort of um, negative thoughts about whether she would ever get back because obviously she's now seen people in training who she would beat easily, beat her, and you're like, "Whoa, where am I? Am I ever going to get? Am I ever going to get there?" And it's just it's, it's, it's a tough time, so you have to work through it really, but. No, it was it was an interesting interesting year because she she went to Gotzis. The whole plan was go to Gotzis, get Olympic qualifying, and then we'll go to the Olympics. She was, wasn't going to do the World Champs in twenty fifteen. That was the plan. And then she performed reasonably well, um, did okay, finished fourth overall, and just she was even there. She goes, oh, "What's the point? Finishing fourth? This is not good. This is rubbish." And I said, look, we came here for one job. We knew what we were trying to do. Score 6,100, you know, score that. you got Olympic qualifying and then carry on. You knew what you were going through. But even that was a tough, that was tough for her. But then three or four months later, three months later, she did the anniversary games. And then you could start to see the ping, the bounce come back. And at that point it was like, ooh, do you want to go to the world champs? We can do. You've got qualifying for the world champs and you're jumping a bit better. And if I take those performances and put them into your head, athlete, substitute them in, you go, you could sneak a bronze. <laughs> what do you think? It's a bit like Commonwealth Games all over again. If you get it right, you could sneak a bronze. It'd be nice to get a medal coming back from pregnancy. That can give you the confidence and build towards Rio. So that was the plan. That was fundamentally the plan. Um, lo and behold, you get to, you get to Beijing and it kind of falls for you. She gets better and better and so on and ends up winning the world champs, which was pretty much un, unexpected. But the real nice thing, and if you believe this karma balancing thing, having missed the Beijing Olympics, mm-hmm. um, it was like she got her Beijing moment. It was just in 2015. So she got to compete in the bird's nest, which she'd missed in 2008. Again, another motivating reason for going. And you were like, yeah oh, you've actually won in the bird's nest, which was kind of your dream back in 2008. So it was kind of like it kind of brought things to an end. You just, yeah, we've done that, did that, tick. That was on my my bucket list. I can go back and tick that one. I thought that would never happen. So that no, was great. It was absolutely great and very satisfying. So having brought her back from injury in 2009 and then coming back from pregnancy in 2015, that was, they were they were big things. They were big things for me from a coaching point of view.
0: And then even bigger, a year later, winning silver in Rio. I know Damn. from your perspective as a coach, just. it might be a little bit different. Oh. <laughs> different. Feel free Damn. to elaborate.
1: I'm just going to sit here and cry. No, do <laughs> cry. So I shed a tear down my face. Damn. That opportunity missed. Opportunity missed to be double Olympic champion for me. And I look back on it and I go, oh, so close yet so far the smallest losing margin in the history of Olympic heptathlon. You're like, oh man, should have been two, should have been two. A poor shot put really for me. And she had three Achilles tendon injuries leading into Rio. So we had lots of issues to do with. So we didn't get a clear run at it, unfortunately. And to get that close, you're like, damn. And then you came across TM, Nafi TM, who was on the the rise. Just (laughs) crikey. She She had two days of two days. She just had such a purple patch of two days and with her elbow in bits, still wanged the javelin at 53, you know, and you just went, whoa, okay. And it was so close because the difference between them going into the 800 meters was about 16 seconds they needed. And the difference between their PBs was 16 seconds. Wow. So you're like, it was, it was just so doable. And you just like, damn, but she had to do it on her own from the front. No help. Do it on your own from the front. And that's tough to do. That's really tough to do. So you know, to get within 35 points and miss out, you're like, oh. But we knew, we knew going into that year, this was the last time around the block. She would not be going to London 2017. We didn't make that public, but this was it. We're going to finish at the Olympics. That was as done. And even afterwards, I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? She said, look, if I get injured again, you don't know whether I'll be able to make it. And I go... So each of the four heptathlons she did after pregnancy got better. Each one was better than the previous one. So she was still on the rise. And I said, are you sure? Are you really sure? She went, no, I'm sure. And I went, that's good enough for me, if you're sure. Because as an athlete, and you know this, you don't often get to choose when you retire. It's forced upon you through injury or non-selection. And when retirement is forced upon you by somebody else's hand and not yours, that's tough. It's tough to deal with. You don't get to choose your ending. that's... You know, that leaves a lot left in in you that you think, oh, if only and so on and so forth. And that's a tough thing. But at least she got to retire. She had the whole of her career. She got to pick. I'm going now. <laughs> it's a silver medal. It's not quite the top, but I've had a really good one. Thank you. Good night. God bless. And you walk out the door. I think you're a much settled individual. And part of the coaching is that my philosophies are just, you know, multidisciplined, cause no harm. Add value to an individual, whatever that may be, hopefully PBs and things like that. But just walk away from the sport. Don't limp away from the sport. Physically, mentally, don't limp away from the sport. I think that happens to people. They've got nothing to go to and then the door, ding, it's over. And people really suffer with that. What now? What now? What now? And, and for her, she had a few irons in the fire, what she was going to do. But she was going to be a mum. I'm a mum now, I'm going to take my kids to school, I'm going to take part in the sports day race, mum's race. I'm just <laughs> going to be a mum, that kind of thing. And that's really what she chose to do. So she had closure, so that part of your life ends and then you move on for the next, what, uh, 50 years, you hope, in a totally different place.
0: Wow. <laughs> just listening <laughs> to you Just listening to you talk about the uh, incredible partnership that you had, um, it's definitely something that even as an athlete who was on the team watching you guys yeah. together. It was it was fascinating to watch, but also because of the journey, just listening to the journey. Like You see a lot as an athlete or maybe as an individual, as a fan of the sport, but you don't really um, understand it until I've, I hear I stuff have, like
1: this. I have seen too many people stay in the sport too long and try and try and fight and fight and this. And it just grinds at you. It eats at you as opposed to, I need to leave this on my own terms and it goes. And people hang in there and hang in there and all. Because fundamentally, I don't think they know what's going to come next. And it is tough because you dedicated. you got to think, I met Jess at the age of 13. Um, well, I met her when she was nine. But athletics was something that she did from the age of 13, really. And it got really serious, probably from about 18 onwards. So for 12 years, a third of her life, that's all you know. That's what you do. It's what defines you. It's what everybody talks to you about. They always talk to you about your athletics. da, 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 da. You know, they that kind of thing. And then suddenly it's like, it's gone. It's ended. It's really tough at that point. So from, from my position as a coach, it's like, you've got to be able to leave the sport. Yeah, where am I going? And I haven't done that on every occasion. I had one or two athletes just, you know, they saw that just really struggled with it a little bit. Uh, another one of the girls in in the group but uh, you know really struggled with what defined them and suddenly they're they're railing against the machine all the time and this that and the other and that's quite sad to see because then they reject your help from that so like uh, Brendan Ingle a local boxer here God rest his soul he said something he's like first they use you they accuse you then they abuse you and it is that because they use you for what they can give you and this, and then it goes really, really well. And they're using you to help them along. And then they accuse you later in their career when it's all going wrong. It's not their fault, it's yours. You didn't do this, you didn't do that. And then after that, when it all goes bad, they abuse you and you oh, that, so-and-so, that, blah, 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 And I saw that more through one or two of the athletes. And it's like, it's not their fault. It's kind of like a journey that some people go through. And I think critically with Jess, because she had the success that she had, it's like, you got to pick your moment when you go in. When are you going? Are you going to go in London because it'll be a home thing? Or do you want it? No, I'm going to go here. I've got a silver. I'm going to rush out the door now say, good night, God bless. It, it's that. Whereas it is tough. And you've got to have something to go to. And I think a lot of what I try, I have tried and help people to go to something. So one of the girls that I coach, she's now, she's done a PhD in psychology, sports psychology. Now she's building a career there. So you help them along, right? The way. Do this, try this, do that, and so on you got to have it. A lot of athletes don't think about it. And then when the shutter comes down or it's forced on them, they really, really struggle. Really struggle. It is because it's like, what do I do now? What do I do now? And even physically, hormonally, I'm set up. I'm a precision machine that's not doing any precision work. Now, that's hard. That's hard. So where, where do you go? So, it, you know, that's part of your role as a coach. And I think what happens is most people dump you. Most coaches will dump you when you're not performing. It's not my fault, it's theirs. They're rubbish. They're not listening. Get rid. Of, that kind of thing. And that's horrible because, like I say, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. And that's, that's a really sad thing. But it's kind of sport. It's horrible in that way.
0: And just touching on that slightly, what would you say to the next generation coming up about the sport and any advice that you could give them as a coach, from a coach's perspective, because it's all well and good hearing advice from Advice to my coaches athletes. or advice to athletes? Both, both. I think the
1: thing is, athletes. you you got to you got to realize you got a, a limited shelf life within the sport. Most people's careers, if it's track events, will probably last about eight to ten years. You're going to have that purple passion. It's about eight to ten years. Then after that, it's going to get a bit creaky. Or if sometime, you might get an eleventh year, you might only get seven. But it's about. Olympics two Olympic cycles in the field events probably a little bit more you can go a bit longer I think so you've got to understand that that's where I am roughly where am I gonna go to I got this one I got that Olympics and then I got one more and then after that the shutter will come down so you've got to be you've got to just understand that's what I'm doing and then at this point so I'm starting as that comes towards me make decisions about it as a coach you got to recognize that you got to recognize you've got to coach somebody's whole career not just a year coach for a career not a year and understand that this is what's going to happen these are the championships along the way this is what i'll have to do once this starts about i'm not going to the championships anymore what are you going to do, how, how do you go, do just plot it out you don't have to write it it's not like permanent it's not chiseled in stone but again you know you write this thing down in pencil and then you rub it out change it a little bit twist but understand what their journey is going to be. So critical benchmarks. Somebody comes to me, like I've had some guys come to me. They've come for uni. So they're here for a three-year degree. Fair enough. This is a relationship that's going to last at least three years. Then after that, are you going to stick around or are you going to go back home? What are you going to do? So I know I've got you for three years. In that three years, this is what we're trying to do. And then we'll assess as we go as to whether you then either have to get a job, stay in the city, or you're going to go somewhere else or what you're going to do. So you. The, the flags are there. Just pick them out. And as a coach, you've got to recognize that. Too many coaches coach from like year to year. Oh, this year we're going to do that. Next year, we're to, they don't see it as four, five, eight years. And that's missing from all, all the coaching awards that exist in athletics. It is, people go, oh, you're just coaching that session. That's the sad thing. And as a consequence of that. Then you are going to get pitfalls. The other thing I think for coaches is you've got to recognize that these people change that the 13-year-old you first coach, that sassy 13-year-old, is going to grow to be this adolescent, spotty 16, 17-year-old. Then they're going to be in their 20s driving their own car, doing the thing, <laughs> wanting their own autonomy. And then they're going to be an adult. And then they're going to be, you know, as Jess was, Jessica Rennes, limited by the age of 25. And like, well, that's a businesswoman who runs her own business, pays her own tax and stuff. That relationship's changing. So I can't treat you the way I did as a 13-year-old. I can try and trust me i did but you kind of go you got to recognize that these people are changing different value different value set they own a house they've got to pay a mortgage they've got to do stuff you've got to recognize how that changes and you have to change because truthfully you can only affect one person in your life and that's you you know you think you can affect your children you can't even affect them you can to a certain extent but not really they're gonna do things to themselves. So the only person you can truly change and mould and bend and twist is yourself. So you've got to mould, bend, twist to support this person if you want that relationship to to be sustained.
0: Interesting. I know you mentioned it before, but I do want to ask the question. (laughs) Um, What's happening now in the sport is a lot of athletes are receiving medals from previous championships where they've been upgraded um it doesn't matter what color the medal is they're just receiving medals they're receiving them 10 years later eight years later they're receiving them in the post they don't necessarily have that same moment and I've seen it a lot and I've heard a lot from the athletes but what is it like as a coach having a medal upgraded from a previous championship that you know in Jessica's case she had a medal upgraded from 2011 when she's already retired from the sport you know
1: It's kind of to to get an upgraded medal is kind of nice, but I suppose it depends. It depends on you and your circumstances. My my look at that medal that she got upgraded. Yes, you you deserve it because the person cheated, but you lost on the day because of what you did. You should have won that medal. I mean, in the previous two years, you beat that athlete, and at the Olympic Games, you beat that athlete. So you should have beat them in twenty eleven. So it's a bit it's a bit different. And she'd had other medals along the way so that one coming it's very different if it's the only medal you ever earned then it's horrible to get it in the post we've not made enough of it but you've missed your moment you've missed your podium moment yeah from that and i don't think anybody can give you that back you remember all that anxiety you went through finishing fourth and all that just down and just all that questioning all that hurt and search and all the rest of it you still live through that you can't go oh i can park that now I can be jelly nah, let's get a bottle of champagne it's like you're 35. That was 10 years ago. What bottle of champagne are you going to break open? So it's it's horrible. It's the right thing to do, which is redress this and 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 wipe people from the from the list. I think that's right. Uh, from a coach's point of view, I just look at and go. I, I genuinely, sadly, I go kind of like it's good, but so what, so what, from 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 that perspective. I mean, in fairness, I got my bonus though. The UK Athletics, bless them they sent me the bonus for a gold medal when it was decided they upgraded it and i got i got my bonus which was nice but you kind of when i sat in front of journalists and they kind of went oh you know this oh she went for it but you know it was a futile attempt to win gold and she ran a little oh yeah but you this and then we went through all the searching and so on i'm kind of like yeah it, it doesn't take that away but more if i flip it without that loss would we have had 2012? We'd the moment of, okay, this is broken and I need yeah. to, and the, the silver medal is a proof that it's broken, so go and fix it. If she'd have won gold, we might have gone, oh no, everything's rosy, and you wouldn't have had 2012, which would have been a bigger disaster. So what don't break you makes you. So you, you kind of learn from those moments. So I did, there was a massive learning point. So I, I kind of look at it and go, it's nice, but the silver taught me more and taught us more in terms of how to behave and how to operate than the gold ever would have. So for me, I'm kind of like, I'm a bit kind of non-plus about it, where in Jess's situation, it's nice of her to get it, but hey, so what? But for other people, no, it's totally the right thing that they give that back. But I don't think, nobody can replace that moment.
0: No, they can't. I'm I'm seeing a lot of it now. Um, and I know we, not we, but no, actually, yeah, we, <laughs> there was um. A um, in 2016 Rio Olympics, there was yeah, yeah. there was an athlete who I knew was on drugs yeah, yeah, yeah. from from another country, and this particular athlete uh, ended up testing positive after Rio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if she'd have been part of the four by one and in the strike, so she was in the strike four. But if she'd have medaled and we hadn't finished in the top three, can you imagine finishing yeah, yeah. fourth in Rio but then getting upgraded later?
1: At least, you know what? I, I think Cherry Alexander at British Athletics has done a good thing. Wherever possible, they've been having podium moments. Yeah. And people on the podium, and they've they've worked really hard at trying to address that. So you get a crowd moment, which is brilliant, which yeah. is as much as you can do. It's as much as you could do. Um, and I think that's good. So you get the pat on the back. You get your moment. The only downside is, does your tracksuit still fit? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you there's a few people who are like, oh, I got a medal. <laughs> and some and I just, oh, can I get it on? Can I get it on? This kind of thing. So no, I, I, it's, yeah, it's sad, but at least our sport's correcting things. I don't see a lot of that happening in other sports. I don't see them because we test. Athletics does test. doesn't test enough, but it tests. And therefore, you know, and it goes back and it checks these things uh, retrospectively. So I, I, it's good. It's not ideal, but it, it it's good.
0: And my final question to you, Tony. What does life look like now for you? I don't
1: really know, you know. I'm I'm eking out an existence, causing trouble where I can and, and doing what I can. What does the future hold? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I keep doing what I do. Um, I've probably only got a few more years left of doing it the way I do it. Otherwise, you know, it's time to get a job. It's time to get a job. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much... I mean, you could still it.
0: work for the DWP. I'm sure that I was looking for. Them. I would.
1: I'm more likely to go back <laughs> and sign on than
0: <laughs> the other end.
1: Yeah, <laughs> go from the other side. <laughs> I'd sit near. have I been looking for work this week? Yeah. No, you, you. I don't know to be honest, because there isn't, there aren't the opportunities in athletics coaching. There isn't the opportunities with governing bodies and things like that. You try and do what you do. I mean, all right, I sit on the members council, but. And, and try and support coaching and I think there are some changes coming there but they're they're beneficial for the whole sport, not for me as an individual. so um, you you try and make change but this thing is this thing is slipping downward to be honest you've got this ranking system at the Olympic Games now which is quite frankly is ridiculous in terms of its approach. Um, you know they, it's, it's just tinkering going on. The British Olympic Association are only interested in the winning. It's not the taking part anymore. It's all about the winning, <laughs> you know, and Commonwealth Games is the same. That's all about the winning. And it, the, Olymp- the Commonwealth Games team, even though it's home, Commonwealth Games coming up, teams limited to about 70, the same as it was in the Gold Coast. They don't want, you know, there's an opportunity to pick a full team, 128 people. They don't want to do it. They only want medalists and winners. You're like, so it's not the friendly games anymore. It's the win at all cost games. It's That's the changing environment. And, you know, it's. I feel like I, I rail against the machine, but I don't see enough people standing up. They'll complain about it in private quarters, quarters, but the, will they stand up? No, not. You don't see that. But you've always found that it was always the same, really. That people, oh, I don't want to queer my patch, but will somebody speak up? When we're changing the way sport is, and the divide between elite sport and participation is growing, it's too big a gap for people to jump. And that will get harder and harder, and it'll get more and more difficult. And all you're doing is shattering kids' dreams. You're giving them, you're giving them false hope. You can come into our sport and you can go to the Olympics. Well, yeah, when you're 25 and you do this, and you've got a really good agent that can get you into the meets, that'll score you points to be there. So you're not going to get there on your own personal merits. It's, it's all of those kind of things. It's very sad, really, and we're seeing our sport decay in that way. And I don't think they're smart choices. They're not smart choices. So, you can do what you can, really, and help and push. Uh, But it does need, it does need a serious, Christ, athletics needs an (laughs) enema. It just needs a big old clean out and just look at it. You've got the greatest sport, the central pin in the Olympic Games and you're tinkering with it in crazy ways to make it more applicable. Whereas, it's applicable already because somebody looks at a human being and sees them propel themselves. You know, they don't use machines to get where they're going. So, it's good, it's good enough. You don't need, just put the stories out. We've communicated, and this goes on and on, but human, human beings communicate via stories from cave paintings all the way through to writing in books, to the printed word. We communicate via stories. All you have, have to do now, we have the numerous story platforms that exist, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, TV, internet. We have all these places to put the story out. And for some reason, we can't communicate that. We can't get the story out that we feel we need to tweak the story. and Oh, it's not what people want. They want it in 90 minutes. They want the instant thing. You know, if the story is good enough, people will read it. People are still fascinated by cave paintings. Crikey, we're still interested in that stuff. But it's only now that we think, oh, no, we want this instant society. We don't. We actually want the story. Give me the story. Tell me about the inside of what's happening. Give me that. That's what people genuinely want. And only in athletics are we cutting the story and go, once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after. Thank you. Over to Advert.
0: That's what athletics is doing to itself now. And it's ridiculous. Do you think the various changes that are happening now are moving forward for the greater good? Or do you think bigger changes need to be made?
1: I think it's change for change's sake. That's what we think. We feel we have to change. And even European athletics, Sven Hansen knows, oh, we need to move forward. We need to change. I'm like, Really? That's how we talk. He does. He's Norwegian. <laughs> you know, oh, we have to change. We have to change. We cannot stay the same. We have to change. This is a guy who collects stamps. And I'm like, a stamp hasn't changed. You still find a stamp fascinating. You know, do you not realize that stamps are still fascinating for, for the story of the stamp? And so on. Do you not recognize? That hasn't changed. Would you want to change that and abolish them completely? No. So why do you think you would apply the same methodology to athletics? that that needs to be changed. That doesn't actually. It's a great thing already. Just tell it more. You have more ways and more platforms to to give the story out. You can tell more of a story now. So I'll give you a little bit of a story on Twitter. I'll give you a bit more of an insight on Instagram. Then you can see the sport. Then we can reflect on it on the internet and we write articles about it. Then we can make a film about it, whatever. You just have more places to put your story, but people think, oh no, it's it's this tiny little thing. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. Humans are interested about in in and about what a human being is doing and what they're achieving. Because you can relate to it. We all run to a certain extent. We all throw something. We all jump a little bit. We're more fascinated and like, wow, really? How far? How high? How quick? Because we can relate to it. Because we go, I run. How quick does that actually look? Tell the story. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's simple. How do you know? Our sport is simple and it's made complicated by people. And I don't know why. Like they're trying to make another buck. It's about the money. It's, oh, our product won't be in Central and stuff
0: like that. It's a, tennis it, isn't. It has gym. turned into a business though, hasn't
1: it? Well, you know, bizarrely, you know, we want to be more like tennis, but at Wimbledon, there are 128 or 64 people start the competition. There are not 64 people in the 800 meters in a Grand Prix. We want the we want the Diamond League to be ninety minutes because that's what football is. Have you seen a football match at one o'clock? If you go past any football stadium, is starting to bubble at one o'clock. Match don't kick off for another two hours. If you watch football, there's a ten minute gap in the middle. There's preview of the show. Then there's after. Then there's analysis afterwards. It lasts ages. This kind of thing. It's not ninety minutes. But this assumption that oh everybody watches football because it's ninety minutes. They don't. They watch it because it's tribal. They understand the people on the field are are connected to them in some way and they're playing again. Then I get the analysis before. Then I get the halftime view and will it change and the drama of the game. And then afterwards, I get to analyze it and live it again. Not in athletics. We need to be 90 minutes and off. I I, I don't, I just, people are looking at it, I think, wrongly. And people at World Athletics are trying to tinker things because I think, genuinely they're trying to say, oh, this is what we need for us to make more money you don't, just get your, get your story across. Tell the story.
0: This has been so insightful. <laughs> just hearing No, literally just listening to you talk about um, your progress as a coach and, you know, the success that you had, but also the in-betweens, the highs and lows, which is what, you know, we discuss on hidden greatness. I, I say the bit we people talk about
1: coaching and stuff, and I just say, look, the more I learn, the less I know. You start to see. And every person that you work with is different. So you can't take it as a template and just jam it on top of the next person coming through because you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. So you have to shape it every single time. And in doing that, you start to learn a bit more, learn a bit more, solve a different problem. Okay, you're going to have to do it slightly different. You're know, you you're tall and thin. You've got long legs, you've got short legs, but you're still as quick as each other. And that's the fascinating thing for our sport. You look at you look at Christian Coleman and to Usain Bolt. Those guys run really fast, but two physical shapes are so extremely completely different, different. Completely yeah. different. yet their outcomes are pretty much the same. You go, wow. You know, so that's the appeal of our sport. And, and that's what you have to do, I think, as a coach, is to understand that it isn't fixed. It's always changing. It's always changing, and you have to have that mold. So, no, I think when they finally screw the lid down on the box, I still won't know enough.
0: That. <laughs> <laughs> but- is going to be how we're going to end the podcast today. <laughs> and Tony oh, for Presidents, I want to say that, Tony for Presidents. Um, Tony Minicello, definitely one of Britain's best coaches. I know you've had a lot of admiration from other coaches in other sports, not just track and field. I know you've got, you're very, very friendly with the coaches in football, uh, rugby as well. You know, they speak very, very highly of you. Yes, I have done my research. <laughs> <laughs> they always had good things to say um which is you know why you've been one of britain's best successful coaches so Very kind thank you so much for the conversation today and um, thank you for letting us in at the sheffield eis and yeah thanks for coming on hidden greatness podcast thank you thank you for listening don't forget to rate subscribe and like tell a friend to tell a friend about hidden greatness which is available on all streaming platforms catch you on the next episode bye